Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gross. It gives me great pleasure now to welcome to Viewpoints uh, Ian Ryan, who's the author of the new novel, The Spiral, uh, which is published by Echo. It's published this week. It's out there as trade paperback at $29.99. And for those of you who are not familiar with Ian Ryan, uh, Ian's been twice nominated for the very prestigious Ned Kelly Award for his writing. He's um, often described as a hard-boiled noir crime novel writer, but this particular book, The Spiral, takes him into different structural uh, territory, and we'll talk about that soon. Um, Welcome to Viewpoints, Ian Ryan. Thanks for having me, Henry. My pleasure. Now, Ian, um, you've you've sort of shot up from from nowhere in the last 10 years, I guess, in in, in Australian writing, and you've published uh, three, you've self-published three novels, you've had different publishers. You've got The Spiral, which is a new one, and I did want to start, though, with your writing is described, as I said, as hard-boiled noir crime, um, as distinct from hard-boiled. Now, I went and obviously looked up what hard-boiled noir crime means, and it's uh, it everyone is a fallen person, there's something wrong with them, and right and wrong are not clearly defined, and maybe not even attainable, uh, and there's a sort of a, a gloominess about it. What led you into this uh, this domain of writing? Uh, I've always just been attracted to stories that have a lot of grey areas in them, so where the, you know, where, you know, the villains and the heroes were not quite so clearly defined and i feel like in sort of contemporary society especially on television now this is almost at a par for the course like we you know we're so familiar with these sort of tropes from different television shows like breaking bad and the sopranos and true detective and things like that uh but when i was a kid i mean this was sort of books and novels were like the only place to sort of get this kind of storytelling really uh, and, you know, it was just really, really exciting as a teenager to be reading people like James Elroy and Jim Thompson and, and you know, all these sort of hard-boiled noir kind of characters. There was a real like, energy to it that I couldn't sort of locate anywhere else in the culture. Mm. Now, in an interview with uh, Booktopia Book Guru's 10 Terrifying Questions, I won't repeat their questions, that wouldn't be appropriate, uh, Ian, but I was very intrigued by your answer to one of them, which is probably linked to this. Um, you ask what you strongly held belief had at 18 that you don't have now. You probably know where this is going. And you thought then, and I must say I was intrigued, you thought that, or you quoted as saying that uh, the most important aspect of an artist's life was their authenticity. Um, You thought that was a very teenage approach to the world and it wasn't helped by grunge, which was invested in the punk ideal, blah-de-blah. Now you've moved on to thinking the most important aspect of an artist's life is their work. And I can't help but think, are they necessarily mutually exclusive? And I'd like your reply to that. Ah, uh, yeah. I, look, I, uh, gosh, what am I going to say to this? I, yeah, look, over time you, you get older and you, you see, you know, I saw the same uh, levels of grey and incongruities in, in people that I was attracted to in the story. So like the, you know, the novelists that I was really, really uh, drawn to, you know, I end up reading their biographies. I mean, some of this is happening before the internet. So then the internet comes along and we have Wikipedia and you just sort of, I just really discovered that what I was drawn to about all these people was their work. 
And then at times their mythology didn't exactly marry up to, you know, what they were presenting. But also like these these people that I'm talking about were pretty like outrageous kind of melodramatic author brands, really. Like they're big media creations in a sense. I mean, they you could never live up to them. Well, you're doing a good job of um, giving it a good shake there, though. But I do think, <laughs> I, I do think, I do think uh, you're a bit hard on yourself um, because uh, um, your work would have to be authentic. <laughs> I, I would think. Yeah, I mean, it's my truth, and it's it's authentically what I want to put out in the world. I'm not, you know, I think you you wouldn't have to read much more than fifty pages of the Spiral to know that it's not a novel that is unabashedly sort of commercial and it's focused not that there's anything wrong with that at all but yeah there in my own work there is a, a sense of I mean the authenticity I try to like kind of dig into a bit is just to not be a complete wanker when I'm promoting the work and trying to you know present myself as some sort of genius writer archetype I just you know that's the sort of maneuver that I I think is kind of curious. Mm. Now, the spiral's a little bit of a departure from some of your earlier work, and that's uh, that's even in the uh, the press releases. But um, a person who reviewed your earlier work said, and now this one said, some novels defy easy classification, and that's certainly true of Spiral by Australian author Ian Ryan. To read the book is to play the game. It's a mystery unlike any other I've read. It's a fantasy adventure for grown-ups and a pastiche homage to the early interactive books that came along several decades ago. In responding to that, tell us a bit about The Spiral. Uh, it's the story of a 28-year-old academic called Emma Bridges who is absolutely on the make. Uh, she is a, a, like a senior academic already at that age uh, at the University of Queensland and she's studying these choose-your-own-adventure novels and writing a book about them until one of her work colleagues, Jenny, uh, attempts to uh, murder her and uh, actually recovers from the assault. Irma realises that she doesn't understand the motivation behind the attack, and that's sort of the jumping-off point for the mystery. Uh, from there, it goes to some pretty... Uh, interesting places and, and like there's a lot more of a sort of complex mystery that happens kind of past it but that's sort of how the novel starts that's the premise mm, yeah, it's a fascinating premise yes it goes into many many places and uh, I must say the suspense I, I haven't finished it yet but it certainly holds your suspense now the structure of the book um, you've made a bit of a departure from earlier ones it's far more complex um, are you a risk taker uh, yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> to be honest, like a, I mean, I felt good after the last novel, Student, uh, which Echo also published. So, and I mean, it didn't set the world on fire, but it it emboldened me. And I think, and by that point, I'd also been writing for about ten years. So I sort of started writing at twenty eight, and I was published first published around thirty seven, and then it was a couple of years until a student. So it. It just felt like it was time to try and do something to challenge myself and to be a bit more, um, yeah, to take a bigger risk and, you know, perhaps for a bigger payoff. Uh, yeah, I mean, and also that's that was what was in the work that inspired me. Like a lot of the books uh, that I love are books that challenge my idea about how to tell a story and, and what can be encompassed within the crime genre. 
Mm. Nick Earls described it. Nick Earls is no inconsiderable author himself. Holy crap, you said this book was original. I reckon after 50 years of reading, I've never met a book like this. When you're writing a book that's so original, um, getting support and advice on it, I mean, were you on your own in the boat and there you were going down this structure or were there people around you who could give you some sort of um, <laughs> feedback on where you were heading? <laughs> yeah, no, like, I, I mean, and I suppose just to clarify for the listener that that while it is a crime novel and that premise that we just talked about happens, there's also this sort of underlying narrative about Irma's dreams where she's dreaming of this barbarian called Sero. And uh, and it, the book sort of splits into two narratives, one of which is the fantasy life of Irma through Sero and her dreams, and the other is Irma's daily life. And over the course of the novel, the two uh, strands are sort of brought back together. Uh and I mean, that's an insane idea. Like I can sort of eloquently <laughs> describe it to you, Henry, but um, that's because I'm on the promotion trail and I've got my, you know, my beats like in order to yes. sell the book, but you can't, I couldn't do this until I'd, um, I'd written the novel. And of course it sounds bonkers. Like it's not nothing you could ever say out loud to another adult and they'd take you seriously. It was really, I finished, yeah, the novel was very much like, about 85% as it reads in the novel when I handed it over to my editor at the time. So how did you, I want to get into your head here a little bit more, Ian. There's a lot going on in there, but (laughs) getting into your head, you've written this book, um, you know that, and you just said to me, try to explain it to anyone, publishers by nature tend to be more on the conservative side You've got a track record, you've got a formula, it works. Here you come along with something quite uh, a bit different, uh, very different. Um, did it? Did it sort? Did your heart sort of beat a bit more thinking, what are they going to think of this? Am I completely crazy or are um, they going to buy it? <laughs> I No, I, was, I thought they wouldn't buy it. Um, I, I'd come from self-publishing before I went into, before I was able to sell a book to a, um, a publisher here. And I just assumed that this book, I'd write this book, I'd submit it, they'd say, you're insane, no one's going to buy this book, and then I would self-publish it and move on to the next thing. Uh, it was it was very surprising when they bought it. And in fact, even more surprising when the, the UK parent company of Echo also bought it for the UK rights. So strangely, my weirdest book is has been the most successful uh, in the pre-publication sort of commercial phase. Mm, you've done well. I could describe you as a, some sort of massacre, some of the characters you <laughs> write about. You've almost got a, a, self, a self-inflicted death wish. <laughs> well, how, did, how did you cope with the fact you got it wrong and they did publish it? I, uh, I, I, was, I was chopped. I mean, I, the, I suppose when it did get published, I did have a sense that maybe the book would have a good chance because it is, if nothing else, it's striking. Like it's a book that is different from everything else in the genre at the moment. I mean, I I do sort of push back a little bit about the characterization of the book as sort of experimental or like overly weird, seeing that it, you know, it, it has some of its uh, structures drawn, you know, from these books in the 1980s, the Choose Your Own Adventure novels, which were like huge bestsellers. But yeah, I did. I I felt like we had a unique product once 
I knew it was going to be a product. So I felt a bit better then. Um, you know, and only we'll only know, you know, in over the next year whether the readers like it or not. Absolutely. We take a short break, Ian. Can you hold the line? Yep. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick, and I'm in a discussion with Ian Ryan, the author of The Spiral, which has just been published by Echo this week. It's twenty nine ninety nine trade paperback. Welcome back, Ian Ryan. Thank you. Now, Ian, I've uh, looked up, I just want to go back in time. Um, your first novel, Four Days, that was released on November 2015 via Broken River Books. The irony of that one was that it was shortlisted for the Australian Crime Writing Association's Ned Kelly Award, Best Debut Fiction. It didn't win, that's okay, but Broken River Books folded and your books disappeared. It's currently out of print. How, does, how do you feel about the vanishment of your first publication like that and uh, we can't uh, we can't access it anymore uh not great i mean it it's not a huge disappointment because i still own the rights uh so uh you know if there's any publisher listening and wants to buy a thirty thousand word you know award shortlisted novella um please get in touch uh but no, I look. I, it'll come out again. I'll, I'll publish it myself at some point over the next couple of years if it doesn't. Uh, it doesn't find a home. I, I'm not too concerned about it. It is also nice every now and then to to let a book have a rest, you know, for it to sort of take it out of circulation and and then come back with a big kind of blowout of some sort. It's like getting, you know, having a band break up and then go on the Reformation tour a couple of years later. Yes, that's a fair point. Absolutely fair point. Now. Um... Just, just going in, a, in another direction, you grew up in Queensland. You tried a lot of different things. Um, landing, into, landing into writing, a therapist had a lot to do with that, which is <laughs> interesting. Can you tell? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I had a good read of it. It wasn't, it, it wasn't as though that was some sort of uh, uh, rehabilitation for you. You might like to tell us the role of a therapist in getting you into basically writing ultimately. Well, yeah, my late 20s, I, like, you know, a friend died and I, like, was struggling to deal with it. Like any sort of rational adult, I went and got help to kind of get me through it. And in the course of the talk therapy with uh, my therapist, he started to suggest that, you know, that there might be, there might be something that, you know, is missing from what I was currently doing with my life at that point that might help tamp down some of the anxiety that I was feeling at that point. And so he sent me away and he said, look, just go away and think about what you want to do with your life that you're not currently doing. Uh, and then we'll talk about it next week. And of course, you know, he, he brings me back the following week and I'm running down this list and, you know, there was a bunch of stuff on there, you know, it's probably like being an astronaut, learn how to kayak, uh, you know, whatever. And then I got to writer and he just said, you should just do that. Just do that one. Write a novel. You like books? You should just do it. Just start tomorrow. And, he, you know, this person had already changed my life, like completely turned me around as a person. So I, I, he had built up a lot of trust. And so I did it. I just got up the next morning and I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to learn how to write and write at least one novel end of list in terms of ambition. And I, I took to it. It really helped me in terms of, you know, it makes me happy. It keeps me like pretty well balanced. Uh, I've, you know, I haven't been in therapy sort of 
since about six months after that moment, it, you know, it, it's, it's sort of been very therapeutic and helpful in my life. Mm, that makes good sense. Now, you had what is described as a, a brief flirtation with self-publishing. Clearly, that didn't develop into a full-blown relationship. What did you learn from that experience, <laughs> Ian? A lot of stuff that I'm learning using now as an author trying to shell a book during COVID where we've, you know, the UK, it, it may as well be self-publishing because, it, you know, the whole thrust of the promotion over there has gone into digital, uh, which is the, the domain of self-publishing, essentially. Uh, I learned a few things, though, back in the day. Like, I, I learned that my work wasn't of the right commercial flavour for self-publishing. Um, I have a lot of respect for self-publishers. I think that what they do is really interesting and dynamic, but it definitely favours a type of writing that is not what I produce uh, at the moment. So, yeah, it's a very commercial marketplace, and I did learn a lot about marketing and promotion, I have to admit. There's still elements of which, you know, that I incorporate in my author, you know, hobby at the moment. So, so in lessons learned, um, and we're coming to the end of our time, unfortunately, it'll be great to have you back on the program. Um, a question I sometimes ask uh, people who have done a lot of uh, what would include introspection in, and writers and artists get involved in that a lot. What have you learned about yourself over the journey since you've become a writer? <laughs> oh, that's a big question. Uh, Give me a big answer. <laughs> well, I, I, I probably... I, Look, I, you know, and because it comes out of therapy, like what I have learned is that for me personally, there is like often a bit of a disconnect in terms of how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking, right? I don't think this is like at all an extraordinary sort of thing to sort of have in a person. And the, in my experience, the writing has, has helped kind of, uh, you know, improve that sort of faulty wiring, so to speak. Like I, I look back on the novels that I've produced and sometimes, uh, and often actually, I don't understand them as I'm working on them. They just sort of intuitively uh, going day by day on it. But looking back, I see them as these sort of capsules of problems or issues or things that I wanted to think about. And, you know, over time they, they sort of get batched off. Like they, they don't cure like all the problems that a person might have in their life, but they definitely articulate them in a way that I can't, you know, in other capacities in my life. So, you know, it's, it's been great. It's been, you know, I hate saying that it is therapeutic or therapy, even though I sort of did mention that I, but there is something very like helpful about it and it's fun. I've never found writing to be like laborious. I wouldn't do it otherwise. That's a good point. And that sounded incredibly authentic to me, if you don't mind me. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Having oh a dig yeah. at you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, time's got away from us. Thank you so much. And the spiral. Uh, Ten-second elevator promotion of the book. You've learned a bit from marketing. Why should somebody who's curious, loves reading, uh, is into this general fit genre in general, but hasn't read a book like The Spiral before, why should they go out and buy it? Well, it's entertaining. Like, if nothing else, the book is written to be a page turner. Uh, so for all my talk of, you know, unusual narrative and noir characters, like, at the page level, 
it's it's a total page turner. So you know you could read it on the beach, on the tram, or if you really wanted to, you could you know sit at your desk and burrow down into it like a scholar. But like the main thing is like it's pretty easy to get through. Mm, page turners the is 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 the basis of good writing of anything. Ian, in congratulating you on on your career to date, and 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 I'd say your your courage in 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 venturing outside um, what you've traditionally been successful in, which some people never do. I'd, I'd like to acknowledge that, and uh, uh, thank you for your time and 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 a book a book that's certainly interesting and and, and intriguing. Well, thank you, Henry. I've had a good time. Me too. Ian, that was uh, that was Ian Ryan, listeners, and he's the author of The Spiral. It's out now. You can get a twenty nine ninety nine trade paperback. And it's certainly, if you have any interest in uh, noir crime novels, um, this is certainly a great book to read. We'll take a short break and off we go. Mm-hmm. 